here we go. Monday night, it's time once again for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo, and boy, do we have a big show on tap for you tonight, but we always disclose it, we are not live. Tape the show a little bit earlier in the day. Reasons for both of us that we're not live, but important for you, you're, you're going to be flying back from Baltimore. Yeah, I'm in Baltimore, Maryland right now, and this is a town that is just, you know, it is one thing to go into a city and the other team clinch, you know, and lose a championship game in that city. I've been here many times, and Pittsburgh especially, and it, the deflation in the city, the just total, just, just people just say, there's no one on the streets, no one anything. It is the feeling of this city that, and, and considering what there was, Two days, 24 hours ago to now, is unbelievable. And, I mean, I said nothing could be worse than when I was at Golden State when they lost Game 7, Cleveland Cavaliers, and, and LeBron had, you know, Kyrie had the shot, LeBron had the block. I think the entire stadium disappeared out of nowhere. Like, it was, nothing, it was unbelievable. Ghost never, town. <laughs> yeah, totally at, at the arena. But this is a city. This is really just total. And, and, and the, the, the overcome, look, I'm a Steeler fan. I know the Raven fans. They're overconfident. They're pride. They, you know, they're this and that. I didn't even wear a Steeler jacket in the game because I knew what I smart they, move. Yeah, they saw there was someone with a Steeler jersey on, and someone had a Chiefs. They're they're more. They were still yelling more at the Steeler people than the Chiefs people. But <laughs> they just they, they they can't process what happened yesterday. It's, well, it's just it's simply impossible to process what happened in that game. We're going to talk about both of these games in depth over the course of the next hour, but one thing that's standing out to me, Ira, is you know scouring social media today, watching uh, reporters and stuff. I, I think a lot of people in both games kind of think one team lost as opposed to the other team winning the game by some bad decisions uh, you know, from players, from, from referees, things like that. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think the feeling is Detroit had the game won. Um, they were only up 17. When they, if they were up 27, I, I, they were up 17 against a team that they were a seven-point favorite. You go back and look at the Detroit game. I can't wait to get in and start talking about that. And I just felt like San Francisco still had a chance in that game. But I think, and, and, and I think if you look at, at what, how, but if you look at how Baltimore had played the whole year, and then you see what happened, and they had, they, they've been waiting, it seems like, their entire franchise history to have this game in Baltimore. This was the championship game, to have Mahomes at home, to have Lamar Jackson as the MVP. They had dominated the entire season, only losing the Steelers when they dropped passes, and to come to this game, and after the Texan win last week, and then look what happened to it like yesterday, I think, yeah, I think... I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's fifty-fifty in terms of you know saying that Mahomes won. But if we we're gonna, I'm gonna get to that too. I don't. The Chiefs in the second half did absolutely nothing, and I think, but the Ravens did nothing the first half or the second half. <laughs> so I think that's what the surprise is, and I think that's the expression. Is we're in the town, we're in the home, M and T Bank Stadium, and and to lose that game, it's like, oh, what are you gonna do? Don't forget, you can follow Ira anywhere across social media. Great pictures from yesterday's uh, Ravens and Chiefs game at Ira on Sports. So Ira, obviously, you're you're in Baltimore for the uh, AFC Championship game. This is far from your first championship game, though, Ira. You've been to a ton. I love the championship games. I've been to seven Super Bowls. But I've been to 12 championship games. And a lot of those were from the Steeler games when I remember I flew. I just run through a couple of them. The Chargers-Pittsburgh uh, uh, game when I actually went on a plane on like a Sunday morning from Newark. And everyone on the plane was Steeler fans. And we're going to take the plane off because it's like, who's flying from Newark at 7 a.m. to Pittsburgh on a Sunday morning? Except they're going to the game. And the pilot said, and then they just took off and people were throwing footballs around, waving terrible towels. Someone had a boombox back then. You could bring a boombox on a plane and play, play. It was crazy. And then 2016, 1995, Steelers beat the Colts 2016. That was the game that Jim Harbaugh for the Colts. We got Jim Harbaugh, you know, and he was actually played football with the star quarterback. And he could have gone to the Super Bowl. He threw a Hail Mary at the end of the game. Could have been one of his famous plays in NFL history. And it took them, like, I think five minutes to decide. It was a catch, not a catch. There was no instant replay. But that was amazing. And Steelers ended up going to the Super Bowl and losing the Cowboys to the Super Bowl. And then I was uh, in, in one in Denver beat Pittsburgh at the AFC Championship game. And I remember when John Elway was running off the field. And he was just running up to the game ball, and he like threw it, and the guy next to me caught the ball. That was devastating. I've certainly been there for the Pittsburgh when we got killed by the Patriots, and and when we beat Baltimore, which was exciting. In and then went to Arizona, won the Arizona, won the Super Bowl. One of the coolest games I've ever been to. Steelers beat the Jets 
and in Heinz Field. That was that was that was an absolutely tremendous game. And then uh, and then in Foxborough, when the Steelers seemed to have everybody, Levy and Bell, Ben, Antonio Brown, and they got destroyed by New England, thirty six seventeen. And then the, recently, I've been going. You know, when the Steelers don't make the championships, I was at you know Eagles Vikings in Philadelphia, the Rams Saints at that classic game in New Orleans, San Francisco when they killed Green Bay in Santa Clara, the Bengals Chiefs game when Mahomes played terrible the second half of the Bengals go to the Super Bowl, and then, of course last year. But I love these games because the Super Bowl is wine and cheese. It's the executives, the companies, it's the people that come. This is in the home. This is the last game that's played at a home field. This has the feel of a definitely a home field. This is, this is it. So I think these are the last two games of the year. The Super Bowl is in its own league as a game. It's amazing to go to, tremendous to be there, but this is really like the last football game because they don't play NFL games on neutral sites except for the Super Bowl. So they're played on home stadiums. So to me, these two games, and I wish they played them on Saturday and Sunday so I could go to both. <laughs> that would be great. But um, I love going to the championship games because I think this is it. Because this is like, again, these are really in the home stadiums, which I really enjoy. You know, Ira, and this is one of the reasons I love doing Ira on sports with you. I would have never thought of that. And that makes so much sense. Yeah, the Super Bowl is a neutral site. Here you're getting the fans in their element. They're as excited. Like like you said, the Ravens fans, this was their year. I'm sure that place was going absolutely nuts. It's like an atmosphere you're never going to find. The Super Bowl is wine and cheese. But you're not going to find games like this where everything's on the line. The entire city is kind of waiting with bated breath to see what happens. At the Super Bowl, I would say 40% of the people at the game don't care who wins the game. They're there for because they're executives at Nike or, or Adidas or Coca-Cola or Pepsi. It, it, it's, they're celebrities. They're this and that. They just want to be there. These are the true fans. These are the people who go to the games. That's why these games, the prices of these games keeps going up each year because it's like the fans say, I, the Super Bowl's unaffordable. I can't even think about going to the Super Bowl, but I want to go to this game and I want to go to this game. And that's why they go. And it, it was just, it was such an experience that every game I can remember, but last, you know, yesterday was just, I mean, the Raven fans being there. And there were a ton of Chiefs fans at that game, though. I got to give them credit. And you saw in the San Francisco Detroit game, I know a lot of people threw up the Detroit for that because you saw the pockets of the, of the blue and the pockets of red. It was easy to, to spot the, the Lion fans for that game. But I love these games and I love being where fans are. And it's different. You know, Super Bowl's even different than bowl games. You know, bowl game, even the Rose Bowl, when I was there for Michigan, Alabama, it was half Michigan, half Alabama. There weren't like wine and cheese crowd. There was some, but mainly it's the two fan bases. The Super Bowl is definitely a much quieter game. It's not loud. I mean, this, it's just even the, the L.A. game when the Rams were playing Super Bowl wasn't super loud for the Rams. It is really these are the last, to me, the final two games of the football season. So, Ira, you're at M&T Bank Stadium. Over the course of the last five years, obviously you've been to, to uh, Acroshore, uh, you know, Heinz Field uh, more than anything. Second has to be, you know, your home away from home, Tampa Bay, because you go to a ton of games there. But I think you've been to M&T Bank Stadium at every year. I, I mean, you always seem to be at that Steelers and Ravens game. This is obviously different. What's the difference in the atmosphere? What's it like outside? I mean, because you know this stadium inside and out like a Ravens fan. It was, they have this thing called Ravens Walk. And I think the problem, and that's great. They have so many games and everything set up. And I think that's, that's it. And it's like next to uh, Camden Yards. So you go to the baseball stadium and then there's Camden. But I'll tell you one thing. I was a little disappointed. You, I expected more development around it. I know the Orioles are going to try to do more development. But it seemed like when the Inner Harbor was really developed and then there's a thing called Harbor East, which is really nice now. But that whole area hasn't developed so much. They put a top golf there. I remember a couple of years ago, the casino was there and it was like excited to have a casino. I go after the Steeler game to the Steeler casino next to it called Rivers Casino. It's packed full of people. And I know they lost yesterday, but in the casino, it was totally dead. There was nobody there. But even before the game, people said, oh, don't go to the casino. I don't think there's that activity around the stadium that you would expect that, you, that I think was even a few years ago. But clearly the stadium, they all, they all look alike. The Ravens, the, the Browns, Bengals, and Steelers all had built their stadiums around it, you know, at the same time. And it's more like, you know, open air. Um, there's the main first level. There's a club level. And then there's the second deck. And then the end zones are a little bit different. But they, they're very similar in terms of stadiums. I like the M&T Stadium from the club perspective side. I had a club seat. It's bigger. There's more room to walk around, more TVs. It seems like the Steeler one is just like you're so crowded. You can't even move. And it's like even at the club. So I do like that fact from the Raven Stadium and that it's such a so nice and big and you can move around on the club side and it was exciting I did I wish I could tell you guys how I said I saw tons of celebrities I did see Taylor Swift you know and I saw that but not walking around the club area but certainly she was the opposite corner where I sat 
I was in the club. So if she was sitting in her suite. She didn't sit on a 50-yard line. It was in the corner, like in the end zone. If she sat on my side, I would have actually got to see her on that. So that was that was the one chance that I would have got to see her on that side. But uh, um, after the game was over, we saw her. I, when she walked off the field, I got some great videos of her walking across the field. But not so many more celebrities, I would like to say. I was like waiting. I saw Jim Harbaugh on the field, stuff like that, seeing his brother John coach. But not really tons of other celebrities up there. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, anything else you want to talk about um, atmosphere-wise? Because it's always exciting. I know you get there, you know, you get to every game super early. You like to see the, the teams warm up. So what were some of your thoughts on that? Just a couple of funny things. I went with a friend, and uh, she had ordered a jacket. She was going to be a Chiefs fan, so she ordered red, and she lives in Baltimore, and she ordered a red jacket, and she ordered it once, and it came purple. And then she sent it back and ordered on Amazon. Like, the next two days, it ordered it again. It came back purple again. <laughs> it's almost like someone in the Amazon office was like, you cannot wear red at the game. I thought that was just a little funny story about that. Um, I felt that, you know, I think the one thing about where the – oh, yeah, the, I'll give a couple things about the game, though – so I, as you know, where I sat in the club, you can, it was like one of those things where the portal was underneath me. So it was on ninth row. So I didn't have to stand the entire game. And I love that because I can take pictures because I really, you know, I always like to say you either stand or sit. I don't like in the middle. So I got to sit the whole game, but I know at the end of the first half, there was like 30 seconds. I remember the chiefs were driving their kick that field goal. I stood up because people were like getting up to run to go to the, the you know, under halftime to get the refreshments, stand in the bathrooms, those, those things. And I stood up just to catch the end of the play. The guy behind me went nuts on me. I mean, they're screaming at me for standing up. Now, remember, the entire stadium is standing. I might have been the only person in the people behind me not standing up. And they were yelling. I'm like, this is 20 seconds to go. And they were yelling at me about that. I thought I was going to get thrown out for, for, for standing, but everyone else at the whole stadium is standing. So I thought that was fun, uh, funny aspect of it. But, you know, in terms of it was raining, the thing I think me, people don't get from what was on television is that it was not supposed to rain during the game, and I was undercover. It was pretty cool. I didn't know I was going to be undercover in that section. It was very few seats are, but it was misty and raining almost the entire game, and I think that did have some sort of effect. It did have that feel of not like, you know, you know it, was just, it just had that misty type feel uh, when you're in Baltimore and, 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 and that was different I think it did have a somewhat an effect of the game maybe Lamar you know Lamar Jackson played terribly and he's used to this I mean this is what he plays in so he can't say it was just that he was unused to it, it wasn't like uh, Tua going to Kansas City and playing in minus 30 degree weather or something like that uh, in- injuries as far as that goes we kind of didn't know Willie Gay kind of popped up really late on the injury report I remember like five minutes before the game hearing on the radio that he wasn't going to go and uh, they were also missing uh, their left guard Joe Thune who is you know Pro Bowl caliber I thought when I heard these injuries when Gay doesn't go who was supposed to be the spy on Lamar when Tooney the guard goes and he's the only one to protect them from the Ravens inside rush I'm like how are they going to win this game and then you hear that Mark Andrews they're star tight end is back where they lively has been great for their as a as their second team uh, or second string tight end who's become an elite tight end and he's saying Isaiah lively has been great but you're like the Ravens come in this game almost totally healthy the Chiefs come in and totally injured and that was what like even like I had a great view when when Andrews ran out everyone was like he hasn't played in two and a half months he comes out everyone's going crazy when Lamar went out totally crazy for the warm-ups and the other thing that was exciting about the beginning of the game was the uh, Raven, all the old Ravens. Ray Lewis was there. Ed Reed was there. It was like the royalty of the Ravens all showed up for this game. So you really felt that sense of, wow, you're here with, with this. Is, you saw that this was the big game for the Ravens. But then there was that whole thing about, and I, I was there, you know, two hours before the game. And I saw, and on TV it looks, I mean, it was worse than I saw, but the whole thing with Kelsey and Justin Tucker in terms of like Tucker, Tucker starts kicking at like the goal line. He has a weird way that he starts. He starts on the goal line, then goes to the 5, 10, 15, keeps backing up. So it's weird that someone tries to kick a field goal. It's sort of like maybe for a basket, someone like standing underneath the basket and just doing like a one, you know, like a little like layup and then going backwards. And I think that's where he and Kelsey sort of ran, you know, sort of had a, you know, it's weird to have a kicker and uh, at the tight end having a, a, a scuffle before the game. But the one thing about Tucker that's interesting is how many games do you go to where there's probably as many Justin Tucker jerseys besides Lamar Jackson than any other player? You know, the kicker has more jerseys that people are wearing around, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, he is. The, I mean, he's the guy. If it's going to be anyone, I mean, they're, they're, they're rabid. Uh, they're rabid for him. Yeah, there was an issue. I guess his helmet was where Patrick Mahomes was wanting to warm up. So Travis Kelsey threw his helmet away, Tucker's helmet away. I, th- I think that's the story that they were that they were saying. 
I saw it. I saw it live. I thought they were joking around. I thought it was just like whatever. And then I watched the, the video on TV, and then it looked a little bit worse. But I don't know if that was. It just to me, it did seem a big deal, and the people made a big deal of it. But I really don't think. I mean, these guys all know each other. I don't think it was that. I, I honestly don't think it was that. Now, now Kelsey did during the game. I think there was a lot of jawing before the game, and maybe he, you know, did that on purpose to try to get under their skin. But I'll tell you one thing. You look at my pictures on Iron Sports. I posted. I don't understand. I'm going to say this about the Ravens. They're the only team that does this. Why do they have so many photographers when they're doing their warm-ups? No team. I go to how many games have I seen? We're talking the Dallas Cowboys. When I saw you know, Dak and Tua, I don't see photographers. They did this again. They must have four or five photographers, videographers. It's like diagramming everything about what they do, You know, the whole Raven experience. Like, get off the field. Like, they should not have those people on the field for those games. And they did it before. I saw it. I've noticed that now in all these games where they play at home, not away, but at home. They have loads of, I just don't think, how can you get warmed up for a game when you have these photographers all around taking pictures all over on the field? I think it's the craziest thing. I saw it against Tennessee a few years ago, and I thought it was unprofessional. I'm like, boy, they probably stopped doing that. And I'm back to this and I see the photographers and the videographers all running around you there were more photographers around I have a picture of like five people taking pictures of Lamar Jackson always warming up that's insane you can't do that it's like 20 minutes before the game you've got to be ready and focused you can't be taking pictures Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel Mike Balsamo here as well let's talk about the game Ira because it started up and you watch the first drive from Baltimore and then you watch Kansas City's first drive and immediately I'm thinking this could be a long day for the Ravens Weird. Kansas City deferred, which you sort of expected them because they usually always defer. Baltimore goes, and you expect them to start running the ball. I think the theme is you're going to start run, run, dominating. They ran one yard, then Jackson scrambled for two, and then Aguilar dropped the ball. That is probably what the game was. They, 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 they did nothing on first down. On second down, Lamar really couldn't do anything. And then on third down, they have a long pass, and they have third and long, and then someone drops the ball or he throws a, a, a bad pass. And then the surprise thing is that Kansas City, those first two drives, you know, 10 play, 86 yards, Mahomes to Kelsey, Mahomes to Pacheco, Mahomes to Rice, Pacheco runs for 12. The weird thing was, and we talk about this Dan Campbell uh, on, uh, with, the, uh, with the fourth down, it was fourth and two on the Baltimore 41. Do you know Kansas City went for it? On the Baltimore 41, fourth and two, they go for it. They get it, Mahomes to Kelsey, 13 yards, and then he threw a 19-yard perfect strike to Kelsey for a touchdown. But both Baltimore and, you know, and Kansas City went on fourth down as much as Detroit did. So as much as Detroit gets criticized for going on fourth down, but you know, the, the other team, I mean, that was, I thought, you know, pretty, I was surprised that they, on a game like that, would go for it on that fourth down because if they don't get it, they're going to give Baltimore good field position. And, uh, and that exactly what happened. Next possession, Baltimore, six plays, 75 yards. They were on fourth and one on the Baltimore 34. So they're fourth and one on their own 34. Now I'm in the end zone and I'm looking and I like what Baltimore does when they go fourth down. They don't waste time. They just go right. You know, it's like third and, you know, third and nine. They got to the fourth and like a little bit and it just go up to the line and Jackson ran for 21 yards. And then it was, they went and that's when Jackson threw the flower that 30-yard touchdown pass. And then, you know, that tied it at 7-7, and then you're like, okay, well, they're still in the game, you know, at that point. And then Kansas City, 16 plays, 76 yards, nine minutes long. That drive, it seemed like, was at half an hour. It was like, and they converted third and one on the 47th. Third on four in the Baltimore 41 to Rice. Third and five in the Baltimore 27 to Kelsey. Third on three in the Baltimore 10. Mahone scrambles for four. And finally, Pacheco ran in for touchdown. But it was almost like, I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, it's great Baltimore defense that shuts everyone down all the time. The Kansas City of the ball two times, and they have these two super long drives. And at that point, you're like, what is going on with Baltimore? Their offense was, you know, you know they, they, they did score that one touchdown, but their defense, you're starting, you know, I think that those two drives were, of course, those are the only two drives the kids almost had the whole game. But that was, that I think, surprising about those two, two drives. No, absolutely correct. And watching the game on TV, one, one minute, it's like the middle of the first quarter. And then, like, you look away for two seconds, and there's two minutes left to go in the half. And you're like, what just happened? Oh, that, that drive just took a half hour of real time. Like, it, it, it was kind of wild how quickly that, that first half went. Maybe it was because of the futility of the offenses outside of those two KC drives. But considering they only scored, you know, at that point, then there's now it's 14-7 with 11 minutes to go in the half. 40 minutes left in game time, but she scored three points the rest of the game. I mean, it's unbelievable that they were unable to get worse. And, and that's where I think the one narrative I listened to, you know, all the shows last night, all the shows this morning, about Patrick Mahomes, greatest playing, he's the greatest game you've ever seen, it's amazing. I mean, they had a chance to knock the Ravens out. They didn't. I mean, when they were up, it seemed like the rest of the game, they were playing with the lead, but it's like, 
the Ravens should have scored. They, they, the Ravens were incompetent. They were terrible. They could not score, but the Chiefs did nothing. I mean, the, you know, they, they, uh, they, they, you know, Kansas City got the ball uh, on on the thirty three. They went drove down. It was fourth and one on the third in the thirteenth, and they, they, that's when. Like, first of all, Baltimore Lamar Jackson he fumbles the ball. He didn't see him, and that's the one thing. The Chiefs were dropping back and just keeping contained in the pocket, but still. You know, we've seen Lamar Jackson all year. He gets escaped. I just don't know. He wasn't throwing or running well. He wasn't seeing well. And they, that's when he fumbles the ball. So Kinsey gets the ball in 33. I'm like, they're going to get a field goal no matter what. And then on third and nine, they threw to Kelsey. So it's now fourth and one. And they go for it. And I'm like, just take the field goal. You're, it's 14-7. You know, go up 17-7. Get those points. You sit clearly ball was in trouble. They go on a fourth down. Pacheco doesn't get it. I thought that was a big mistake. So, again, people are criticizing Detroit for going on fourth down. Now Kansas City goes on fourth down on a key play of the game. Don't get it. And then Baltimore. But then Baltimore doesn't take advantage. Five plays, 19 yards. They punt. And that's the play that Lamar threw the ball, batted down, catches it. That was a crazy play where he does that. But then, you know, that was the big play that he had because then they had two incomplete passes to Hill and the Flowers. And you could see that Lamar was – it wasn't just like a little off. He was like two yards off on, it seemed like every single throw, it wasn't even close. Even when he released the ball, you're like, they're never going to catch that ball. And that's why the fans kept saying pass interference. There was no pass interference. It was, they were just, he, he was so off. Moving into the second half, Ira, this was game, like you said, it, neither team wanted to do really anything. And you go into the second half and you just keep watching the Ravens make mistakes, keep leaving points on the field. And it was really, it was embarrassing to like you you could look at Harbaugh I'm sure you couldn't see it you know watching on TV his like demeanor was broken he's like what is wrong with my team right now why do we keep giving up points what happened in the second yeah well just one of the last possession that Kansas City had I just what I thought was key because that's where they had a play they got a ball back but really Baltimore got the ball with two minutes to go and Baltimore I'm thinking that okay well it's you know it's 14-7 they just you know worst case scenario it's halftime 14-7 but they go three and out so fast they threw through two incomplete, three, like uh, one completion pass, two incomplete pass. Suddenly, Kinsey gets the ball with, like, you know, two minutes to go. I mean, how did that happen? And then they go down, and then they were smart because they're like third and 24 in the ball of 43. Instead of trying for the big play, Mahomes just gets in field goal range and makes that 17 points. It makes it 17 7. And I think there's another chance for Baltimore. Like, you're going to blame Baltimore defense. I don't blame Baltimore defense at all. I blame their offense for the fact that they could hold the ball in and just like end the, end the half out, at least get a field goal, or at least don't give the ball back to Kansas City with two minutes to go in the game and two minutes in the half to make it 17-7. And then, so that, you know, the second half, crazy. Kansas City, six possessions in the second half, five punts, and they ran out of the clock at the end. They had, these are their possessions, seven yards, 23 yards, four yards, 32 yards, seven yards. I mean, <laughs> that's nothing. They, they did nothing the entire second half. But what did the Baltimore do, the five possessions? Punt, punt, the fumble at the end zone, which is and the interception, and then a field goal. But just, I mean, again, Kansas, this second half was just crazy. And I think, as you just said about Harbaugh, it's like I, I think both teams' offenses were compl- – I'm going to give defenses credit, but in today's day and age – I think both offenses were inept in that entire second half. Yeah, the, the Ravens have been beating opponents the last six weeks by 14 points or more. They didn't get 14 this game. Like, it was just like what? And But you see why, though. I mean, uh, obviously, Flowers fumbles at the goal line. The uh, we'll, we'll get to it, but the, the, Lamar's last interception is just inexcusable. I mean, there was so many opportunities they had to tie or take take the lead in this game. They just didn't want to do it. The, the defense held the bargain. And that's everyone in the media today is that, is that the Chiefs are going to kill the 49ers. Why? They, they, I know the, the 49ers didn't look good, but the Chiefs offense looked terrible for a large portion of this game. You can continue. I'm sorry. I'm ranting here, but no, it's just wild. Rant because, because I'm telling you, I was watching the game, watching the sports center this morning with a couple of my friends who were at the game and we're listening to everybody talk about this game. And they're like, were they at the game? And I'm glad you're saying it because I'm thinking we saw maybe a different game. Like when we were at the game, was there something they weren't showing on television? Because all <laughs> Because they are now saying Patrick Mahomes, they're 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 putting him at the level. Yes, yeah, he's Tom Brady now. <laughs> but he is he's better than Tom Brady. But he's better than Tom Brady by ten, and because he was he scored seventeen points, they didn't score anything the entire second half. They didn't even get first downs in the second half. And you know, like again, when Kansas City deferred, and I'm thinking, okay, it's seventeen seven. They have the ball to start the second, the third quarter. They're going to go down. They're going to score a touchdown. They get twenty four seven. Game over. 
you know, that's what the purpose of deferring was. They go back. They started out, and then it was like passing complete to Watson, which is a terrible pass on a third and three. Suddenly, Baltimore gets the ball back, and then they, they don't do anything. And it was just, and then I'm just waiting for Kansas City to get the ball back again. It's second and seven on the Baltimore 43. There's a holding call, then a long pass, and suddenly it's third and 15. And then Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton, I give credit for Baltimore. Play after play from Notre Dame, the safety he was just making. But still, they didn't move the ball then. Again, just make it 24-7. Like, I'm just waiting. Just give it another chance. So Baltimore gets it back. It's third and nine. This is then they mess up. Third and nine on the 41. They're just on the kids' 41. Just get, you know, get in field goal range and then make it 17-10. Get it. Make it a one-score game. What does Jackson do? He gets sacked for eight yards. Like, why didn't they have to punt the ball? That was crazy. That was one of the worst sacks you could take in that position in a game that was clearly going to be a very low scoring game at that point you've got to take the three points and he gets sacked and gets out of field goal range for that um, then they start the fourth kansas city's three and out they again they punt and then baltimore then has this pass and that was weird is they when uh flowers catches the ball it's 50 yards they finally get one big play when he's standing there i'm thinking did he run off the bench like i'm watching it's like how is he so wide open and then he catches it but that pass do you realize how bad that pass was him he was so wide open he should have just ran into the end zone so not only did he catch the ball he doesn't run in the end zone he gets tackled at 10 yards then he does the taunting penalty that puts back 15 yards and then then he fumbled, then he goes and fumbles it when the when the when the quarter changed and the quarter changed and then he fumbles the ball going in the end zone uh sneed for Kansas City another huge play but that was a disaster for Baltimore's record first of all Lamar should have he was so wide open that should have been a touchdown on that play no, yeah, totally underthrown. And then, yeah, he tries to make a deceptive move. And by then, the defense is catching up to him. Speaking of the fumble, I, I think a lot of people were blaming this loss on Zay Flowers here because of that fumble. It, it's still inexcusable. But Legereus Sneed made a phenomenal play to make that happen. Why is it that more of the blame's not on Lamar, who threw one of the worst interceptions possible the next time that they were you know, in a position to score? I want to say that watching this game, if Baltimore, if the game had another quarter, that Baltimore would have won because the momentum was swinging in their favor. But I can't even say that because they kept shooting themselves in the foot every time they should have done something. Exactly. Kansas City gets the ball back. And again, you're now you're saying, could you just win this game? You're up 17-7. And then they even Clowney had the roughing the passer. People didn't like that call, even though it was clearly roughing the passer. First and 10 of the 45. And then everyone keeps saying, oh, Patrick Holmes is so great. He was never sacked. But remember, this is the fourth quarter. It's now, they're in their borderline in field goal range. First in the, on the, four, in the Baltimore 45, Mahomes got sacked and lost nine yards. That forced them, then he threw a bad pass to Noah, Noah Gray, their tight end. That forced them to punt the ball. But he doesn't get a sack there. Then they're, they're, they, they could make it 20 to 7, or they could get it, or they could score a touchdown. That, I kept waiting for them to get the knockout blow. It's like you're watching a, you know, the champion fighter try to knock someone out, not, unable to get that blow, but it's down at, at the one yard line. And then, of course, that's what you just talked about. They drive down there. They on fourth. But how about this? On fourth and eighteen, I think people forget this. It was fourth and eighteen. There was like ten minutes to go in the um, in the fourth quarter. They're down ten, and they go for it. What if they don't? Get- right there on the 18-yard line. Talk about going on fourth down. And I was listening to on my radio, and they're like, oh, it's fourth down. Later in the game, they said they have to, it's a four-down territory. I go, they've been playing four-down territory. I've never seen a team that late <laughs> in the game, only down 10, going fourth down. And then, But there's so many plays. When you were there and watched it, it seemed like they were disorganized. It seemed like a mess. It seemed like they couldn't get to their lineup. I have never seen a team. You think a team's playing for a Super Bowl? They look totally discombobulated the whole way down. And then, you know, second and 10, on the 24, when they finally, after Aguilar, gets you know, a 39-yard pass, and then second 10 on the 24th. That pass into triple coverage on Lively. I mean, I was triple. And if you look at my video, I have to put the video up online. There, was, there were two uh, receivers wide open underneath. What was Lamar thinking? Going to your tight end in the back of the end zone when he was triple coverage, it, it is arguably one of the worst passes. I mean, that's like Neil O'Donnell, Larry Brown in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, 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 what was he thinking? I mean, it would have been, it would have been shocked if it wasn't an interception, let alone a touchdown. I, I was watching it on TV. You didn't know who the receiver was he was throwing to. That's how covered he was. All you saw was a blob of red and a little bit of speck of, of purple in the back. You didn't know what receiver it was until they made the interception and started running out. And you're like, oh, okay, it was likely. Like, it was horrible. Like the minute, the minute it was like, you know, impending, you knew that there was no chance this wasn't going to be intercepted. Just inexcusable. And then, so again, 17-7. Can we just keep saying 17-7? Because that's like 7-11, 17-7. 
7645 left in the game. Kansas City, can you just get a first down? Can you just do something? Can you do anything to just run the clock out? You're up, you're up with 645 left, up 10. And what does Mahomes do? Get sacked again. He gets sacked again. You can't get sacked. I mean, here's the like people that they're saying is the greatest quarterback in the history of the world, the history greatest player of all time, better than Jordan, better whenever. He gets sacked again. And I like Patrick Mahomes. I think he's super. But he did not have – that last second half was one of his worst halves he's ever played. He gets sacked again. Baltimore used a timeout. Baltimore gets the ball, and they get down, and they, and they end up – that's where they were smart to kick the field goal. And then Kinsey gets the ball back at the end of the game. Too many men on the field. Baltimore at that end was crazy because the Kansas City looked like they were just ready to give the game like nobody wanted to win. 234 left. The Baltimore has too many men on the field. How do you have a play with too many people in the game with too many men on the field? And then they try to do it offsides on purpose. And then they get on sports and like conduct and all this. And finally, Mahomes makes the play to Marcus Valdez standing where, you know, I have a great video of that where he just like fell down, like, please catch the ball. It was like the little kid. It was like, please, one time catch. He does all those drops during the year and he catches that ball and, and uh, but it was what is to run the clock out but what a terrible weird ending of that entire game yeah that, that's my biggest takeaway too is the the Mahomes thing like like I love him too there's nothing not to like about him he's a great guy he's an excellent quarterback but listening to the media after the game and today it's they well, they want to crown him as the, as the greatest of all time why what this the defense won this game you, he played okay this wasn't a, a great performance Travis Kelsey had a, had a good performance that's about it from that offense I mean I, they really don't have much to, good to say about Patrick Mahomes' performance and that's why you know everyone's already crowning them the Super Bowl champions because because uh, San Francisco had a slow start for us Detroit they showed me they could score a lot of points you have not Kansas City no, I mean, it's, that was unbelievable. I mean, my whole, you know, Baltimore, the three turnovers, Chiefs, none. That was important. But again, in first downs, five, you know, the Ravens are mad about the penalties, but you know, the Chiefs were called for holding too, but they had, you know, five first downs on penalties, which was a, another advantage from them. The total plays, Casey, 73, Ravens, 57. Mahomes threw for 230 yards, Lamar, 255. So you can't really read that much about it. And, but Kelsey, I mean, almost all the yards, half the yards was Kelsey with 116 yards, one touchdown. 11 for 11 and Rice had a good game again he's emerging as that second wide receiver but it's like Baltimore's running game I mean that, that was the crazy thing Lamar ran eight carries 54 yards Edwards the running back three carries had 20 yards and Hill three for three their running backs only ran the ball five times which is a big surprise and now and but I'm going to say this look they did run and I question everything but if Lamar Jackson is as good as everyone says he is and they wanted to put the ball in Lamar's hands at that point then then I, I, I mean, look, I criticize their offense, but if he's so good, then he should have won the game. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. If he's so good and he's running around and making plays, then he should have won the game. So I, that's, you know, I guess it's, it's one thing or another. You're like, oh, they should run the ball. They should run the ball. They should run the ball. But, you know, then John Harbaugh should become Jim Harbaugh. And then they get, like, remember Penn State when they ran the ball 24 straight times and they say J.J. McCarthy doesn't throw the ball. Like, maybe have Jim coach the game and not John and they'd run the ball more. I don't know. Lamar played absolutely horrendous. The play, you know, the, definitely the game plan was strange to begin with in terms of passing. But again, Lamar Jackson, it, I'm going to compare him to James Harden. I mean, James Harden, how many times have we seen James Harden have MVP, MVP seasons and inexplicably going into the playoffs against Golden State and shoot two for 25 and one for 15 from three and some of the craziest games. And that's what Lamar's game was. The fumble was terrible that he did. He should have seen the person. The interception was bad. The long, the missed passes on third down, everything. His inability not thinking how to run. I don't, it's almost like he wanted to prove to everyone, I'm a passer. Like, you don't have to prove. Just get to the Super Bowl. Stop stop proving anything. The guys, the idea is just to win the game. Speaking of proving and, and the whole MVP discussion, obviously, the postseason is not supposed to affect the award. And I'm pretty sure that Lamar already locked it up. The, the media is already calling him, you know, MVP Lamar Jackson. Are we sure he was the MVP this year? I know me and you would give it to McCaffrey, but we're more realistic. We want to give it to the most valuable player and not the best quarterback. But was he the best quarterback? I mean, I was pouring through the numbers before the show. Nothing he did was all that impressive this year. Yes, he was the quarterback of the best regular season team. That, I'll give him that. Everything else, you look at him, Josh Allen had a better season than him. Dak Prescott had a better season than him. Why is his, like, I, I don't get it. And now watching this game, you know, uh, national spotlight, everyone's watching, and you you, sh- you shrivel up and, and have a horrible performance. I think it's going to look even worse when he wins MVP. Yeah, two-time MVP. I mean, it's that, that's one of the things. That's why these awards, when they give it at, the, at that time, you're like, you're an MVP. And, and I, maybe he felt the pressure of that. 
I don't know, but he's now in the playoffs. His record, his playoff performance is two and four, and he, and he, you know he's had these bad experiences in these playoffs, and 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 he's you know, two and four in the playoffs, and and Kansas, and Mahomes is fourteen and three. But you can't, you know, Lamar Jackson is a two-time MVP to have two wins in the playoffs in your career, uh, just awful. And it, it's like one of those things where I just think everything went wrong, and they didn't play the way they they played during the year. But you're right. I don't. I I would give them to McCafferty. I think McCafferty was phenomenal, and this idea that a quarterback has to win it every single year is ridiculous. I, I would have given it to Tyreek Hill. And by, with like 10 weeks in the season, 11 weeks, I thought Tyreek Hill, when he's on that 2,000-yard pace, he should have got the MVP. I don't know why. Ty, Tyreek Hill was doing everything for Miami. And until he got hurt, got injured and stuff like that, I would have given. I would have had Tyreek Hill with the MVP. Anything else you want to talk about with this game? Like, like you mentioned earlier, Baltimore was a, was a ghost town after the game. Yeah, it was so weird. So the funny thing, we went to the casino afterwards to watch the second. First, it's impossible to watch. This is what I hate about these playoffs. So I've been stuck in Kansas City, like in my car, watching my phone. Like, I wish there was more time, so it was impossible. We went back to the club. So we're in the club area to watch the game. They could not wait to throw everybody out. Like, they were, like, throwing, like, get out of here, get out of the club. And then we, I, I planned in places to go to the casino. We go to the casino, and there's this great sports bar the casino and they had like two people working and they were like letting people in like one at a time like to go in by the way i just went to this one bar like i snuck in and then went and sat and watched it was a great bar but it was like they said oh we're overwhelmed you can only have burgers and wings so they give you this huge menu they go we're only serving burgers and wings and i'm like you can't plan that after the AFC championship game that people are going <laughs> to go into it like it's not like on a tuesday night when in the middle of the summer when there's a you know whatever it's like after the AFC championship game wouldn't you think the place would be packed full people but uh that was fun and then we went to and then i went to interesting i went to like the four seasons hotel just as my friends were staying there and we just missed phil sims was there michael phelps was there i just i mean we got there a little too late to see all the celebrities that were there at the hotel but oh and the other thing i want to say is after the game's over they have that celebration on the field and that's always exciting to see but it's so weird when it's at the opposing team and so the chiefs fans were on the chiefs side they brought this big contraption when you saw on TV, but they decided to put this like a stage with a back on it. So none of the Chiefs fans could see, though, and I was on the Chiefs side, sort of that side, because I was, and then, but none of the Chiefs fans could see the stage. So they're doing the whole program, and there was to nobody on the other side, but the Chiefs were behind the bench on their side. Like, why not, like, when all these other games, they don't have a back. Why do you need to have a back before? Just have the fans. Like, don't, nobody could see anything. There was this high back that it was like this, and they were doing it. There's nobody on that Raven side, nobody on the entire side. So on TV, I don't know if you saw it, but in, in person, it looked so terrible, and it was totally poorly done. And you know, they have they have won Senaru, the kicker for the Chiefs, like give the trophy out. Like, could they find another great Chief player to do that? It was just everything about it was a little weird at the end of the game. But it's always that same when they used to do it in the locker room with Chief and not out there on the on the field. Yeah, that would make more sense. They didn't show all. They showed Taylor Swift. That was that was about what you saw after after the game. They weren't showing uh, so much the celebration. Great point you bring up too, and you mentioned it earlier. Putting these games on different days, you almost get penalized by the league for going to the game. <laughs> because especially if you're going to the second game, you miss the entire uh, sec- second half of the first game. Like, why couldn't you put three hours in between these games? Do a one o'clock and a six o'clock or do the, I, do I the three fifteen I, and an eight o'clock. I think it should be Saturday and Sunday. What, what, what are you What are you doing Saturday? There's nothing. We'll put it on. We'll put one on Saturday, one on Sunday. They, they, with NBA basketball, they had the, the the Nuggets play the Sixers when Joel Embiid decides he, for the fourth time he doesn't want to play. I mean, at five at five o'clock on Saturday, they couldn't put the other game then and have them back in those things. Because it, it is a lot to ask for people to sit through these you know t- tense games and everything like that. Like I think they should be seeing them. The Super Bowl's two weeks away. Who cares that team had one day extra to practice or something like that? I think they should have them. Stay Standalone one Saturday, one Sunday. At least I think that would be a cooler way to do it than to have the games back to back like that and have people watch like eight hours of football, which you and I do all the time. But other people, now the ratings will be through the roof. But I wonder what the ratings would be if they would have the two sat. I suggest the Saturday night game and then a Sunday, a Saturday game at six and then a Sunday game. Yeah, it would make more sense to me. And yeah, I think they get more eyes on it, which is what they want at the end of the day. But regardless, let's move on. It's I Run Sports, True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. San Francisco beats Detroit thirty-four to thirty-one. Ira and. Some people are calling it the biggest collapse in NFL postseason history. Obviously, I'm going to say 28-3. to three. The, the Falcons Super Bowl versus the Patriots is worse than this. But this is pretty darn bad. Lions came out hot out of the gate and just couldn't kind of maintain and then definitely couldn't stop the 49ers in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not calling I actually would call it. I feel like 
again, I just feel like the situation was Detroit. They scored the touchdown with Jamison Williams. San Francisco missed a field goal. Detroit, another touchdown. Goff to St. Browns. They're running. And then San Francisco. But that touchdown, the San Francisco scored with McCaffrey ran it in, made it 14-7. At least they were, like, in the game with that. And then, Brock, you know, I'm, like, watching it three different places. We had a part watching the club, watching my phone as I'm walking to the casino, watching the casino. So it's hard to, you know, it's, like, it's difficult to do. But, you know, Purdy's interception was horrendous. And then Goff to Laporta, Goff to Brown. Gibbs runs it for touchdown. They get 21-7. And that's when San Francisco, I think when San Francisco went three and out, and the pass on third down to Kittle was, like, a mile over his head. You're like, oh, my gosh, Purdy is coming back to earth. You know, this is it. You know, all the critics are right. He's terrible. He's awful. And then Detroit goes down 17 plays, 68 yards, and they kick the field goal to make it 24-7. So they're getting criticized to go to fourth down, but they actually kick that field goal to make it 24-7 to go into halftime. And uh, so, but it's still 17 points. You know, if you look at the numbers, 280 to 131, 18-8 first downs. I knew San Francisco was a better team. I didn't think this game was totally over. I was shocked with the score. I couldn't believe the score, but... I could not, I didn't want to leave to go to the casino, but if I could bet, I would have bet San Francisco would have actually, I would have put the bet, the money line bet on San Francisco to come back. And I think for 17, wasn't, it wasn't 24, it wasn't 28. Vegas wasn't agrees with you, Ira, because I was checking the live bets the entire time. Obviously, there were seven and a half point favorites going into the game. They're down by 17, and they're still the favorite. Like, it was wild. They should have been like, you know, they should have been getting seven points. They're still like minus one, minus four. Vegas is like, ah, I'm not counting these guys out just yet. Yeah, we're not going to let you make any easy money. So San Francisco goes down, kicks the field goal to start the second half. So it's 24-10. And then Detroit, this is a big problem everyone says. There's like six, you know, 6.58 left in the second half, fourth and two, and they go forward on fourth down. And, and we've been talking the Raven game where everyone's going to fourth and one, to fourth and two, to fourth and three. Do you know that Detroit this year was 20 for 25 on fourth and three and under? Uh, their kicker had only kicked one field goal between 40 and 50 yards outside all year. I mean, so I, I'm not, at first when he, they did that, I'm like, oh, that's terrible. They went on fourth down. Now that I think about it, I don't think it's so bad. That's what they were all year. That's what they did. They should just do it. Like, go for it. Like, I don't think that's why they lost the game. I thought at one point I did, and when I was watching it, I'm like, you know, I was texting people. I'm like, I was so stupid. But then the more I slept on it and thought about it, like, they did what they did all year. They go for it. Like, 34% of the time, they go for it. So do it. Like, I don't, I don't think it was so bad that they went for it like that. No, I, I agree. And Dan Campbell's getting a lot of um, a lot of heat for it today because they lost the game. If they win the game, nobody nobody's going to care about it. But yeah, like agree wholeheartedly. This is what they do. This is what their team is. They're going to go for it in these situations. Sometimes you're going to fail, but the, obviously it works for them all year. Stick with it. Yeah, and then San Francisco at that point though, San Francisco was down six plays, seventy two yards. I mean, the thing was that San Francisco started scoring fast. Like, you know, it was like in 143, that Purdy to Samuel, that Purdy to Iok for 51 yards. That's the one where it bounced off the defensive back and bounced into him. We saw a lot of crazy plays. And then Purdy to a touchdown made it, you know, 24-17. And then the next play, Gibbs fumbles. You know, but you could just, you almost expected it. Like, you almost expected that the, that the tide had turned. Gibbs fumbles the ball. Uh, and then San Francisco, then four plays, 23 yards. McCaffrey touchdown made it 24-24. Detroit goes three and out. San Francisco takes a field goal. And then, you know, Detroit fourth on three in their own 30. They go for it. Again, I criticized on that fourth down to go for it. This was not Oregon Dan Landing, I think, going for the ball when Oregon lost to Washington. This was like, that's what they do. That still would have been a 47-yard field goal. Um, they're, you know, I, I felt like that was smarter. They've been through like four down. kickers this year. They don't trust the kicker anyway. Yeah, I just, I'm like, that was not a 20-yard field goal. Like, Oregon was giving up, like, 25-yard field goals to go for it on, like, fourth and seven. You know, like, this was different. And then San Francisco, McCafferty, McCafferty, and then Purdy, you know, great passes, but also that scramble that he had on, I was like, third and four, where he scrambled for 21 yards. What a scramble to make that 10-point, you know, to make it a 10-point lead. And, but, but where I criticized Dan Campbell, and this end of the game, that's clock management, which we saw last week, which was just against Tampa, which was insane when he doesn't, when they're trying to, you know, it was, it was almost like my Miami, Georgia Tech, when you, you have to run the clock down. It wasn't all his fault, but it was, you know, but it's sort of gospel too. But it's on third, when it's third and one, when they're down 10, you don't blow your field goal. You're, I think people are missing that, that what happened. They should have kicked the field goal then or ran the play. Don't call a timeout because if they been kicking the field goal, they're down seven and then they can go and kick the ball and they have three timeouts. It could stop them just like Baltimore could do with what uh, Baltimore did. But they, but they should have kept their three timeouts when they got rid of that second timeout. That's why they had to do the onside kick. That was the mistake. Why they called that timeout when you have the three timeouts to waste the timeout there in order to run that last play. That was what the problem was they should have just kicked the field goal, saved the three timeouts, 
And then they, they would have got the ball back with, like, if they would have held them with 40 seconds to go in the game. That was the mistake. That's why they were forced to go to the onside kick, which is never successful. I mean, that was the closest. That onside kick yesterday was one of the closest I've seen from getting. No one ever gets these onside kicks. No, I, I believe it was uh, Jay Feely who said that they were two for, two for 42 this year or two for 46. It was like 2% of them converted this year. Not not the position that you want to be in uh, towards the end of the game, but yeah, it's the well, decisions the leading up to that. that. Yeah, and the reason is that they for safety reasons, they don't want to have, they used to line everybody up on one side. So you could put every single person on your kicking team on one side and have them just run into somebody and knock both. But they felt there was too many injuries, so they said everybody should stand in their position. So since they changed the rules, it's impossible to get an onside kick. You need somehow the receiving team to make a stupid, stupid play because the ball still has to go 10 yards. So that's why it's, 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 it's worthless. So you see teams try it, but it's never successful. But that's why you had to keep your third time out and at least make the other, make, you know, and make San Francisco get a first down. But they had three timeouts to go timeout, timeout, timeout. Instead, with that second, that, that 40 seconds went off, that's why, that's why they would have had the ball with 40 seconds to go. Anything else you want to talk about from this game? Because outside of really, uh, Christian McCaffrey, there wasn't really any super standout uh, players in this one. No, I mean, I think what I think was was the the yardage San Francisco. I think was you know sort of tilted because that first half how was crazy. Purdy though twenty for thirty one, two sixty seven yards, one touchdown, one interception. McCafferty ninety yards, two touchdowns, four catches, forty yards. I think Debo Samuel. You see the value that Debo has for this team. The fact that he can throw the three yard out, and you know, and a game like this, Kittle two catches, twenty seven yards. Super Bowl Kittle could have ten catches, two hundred yards. Yes, that's what I like about this team. They have so they between Ayuk. Kittle, Samuel, and McCaffrey. You have four weapons, and I think that's what most teams don't have. The Chiefs might have, you know, they have Kelsey. Is Pacheco a weapon? Sort of. But, I mean, it's actually from a skill position. Mahomes probably is worth three of his own, but the fact is they just have so many more weapons, and I loved how Purdy ran. When the field is spread out, and I think that's what Purdy gives them, when the field is spread out, someone's trying to cover Kittle and Ayuk and Samuel. That's why he was able to get those good scrambles, and he was really aggressive in running the ball and running the ball hard. And that, I mean, look, Purdy, still people are criticizing. Well, let's see what he does at Super Bowl. Look, he's earned He's played great. He's now made, led the team to two championship games. He's played great. I mean, he's better than, as I said, he, he's not the top two, three quarterback in the league. But is he better than Tua? Yes. He's done better than Tua. Has. I mean, he's better than some of these other quarterbacks that we think in the league. He's, he's at that elite level. I mean, he's not at the elite level, but he's certainly, we should not think, oh, San Francisco, he's the weak link for their entire team and they need to replace Brock Purdy. I was having arguments with people left and right last night, especially in the first half. It, people are like the the wildest court. Like I'd rather have uh, I'd rather have Desmond Ritter right now. Like are you, like where is this coming from? Like no, this guy's a good quarterback. Like you guys are absolutely insane. What you said about Kittle is so funny because isn't he like for people that do fantasy? He's like the most frustrating guy in the world. Some games he's gonna block the entire game and go out on three routes, and then other games he's the focal point of the offense. Very tough as a fantasy guy, but great that they have that option. Right, and I, you just said something earlier, though, I mean, in terms of the Super Bowl, and I know the line is one, which is great. You want a Super Bowl where there is, like, it's, it's San Francisco's favorite by one, and it's, I'm sure when the game starts, it can be between one or two or something like that. But I, I'm at this one, is, there's one thing to say that I think Mahomes could beat the, the Ravens, but I, and I did not like how San Francisco certainly played that first half, but that second half is what San Francisco is all about, and, and their defense is going to get fixed, and they're going to play great, And but Kansas City has not scored in the red zone all year. They look terrible that second half. They, you know, I just, I'm telling you, I think San Francisco wins this, and I think they win by two touchdowns. I think they're, they're going to, I'd be surprised. I think San Francisco wins this. Right now, I'm going to change my mind when I think about this, but I think San Francisco wins the world by two touchdowns. I think this is the team that you saw in the second half, that's the San Francisco team. I'd rather have played better in my second half than my first half because the team I saw in Kansas City in their second half was terrible. The Kansas City first half team was pretty impressive on offense, but the second half team was not impressive. I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I'm shocked to hear people that I respect in the media thinking that the Chiefs are going to just, are going to win this game easily. But, you know, looking at it, like, I, I can't keep betting against Patrick Mahomes. He's, he's running me broke every week. I I bet against this guy and he proves me wrong. So I get that factor. But this game was not, or the, the prior game, Casey, it wasn't decided by Patrick Mahomes' heroics. And, and that's kind of what the, the, the media is harping on today that Patrick Mahomes is so great. Like we said, I, I just, if I had to bet, I'm taking San Fran. That, that second half was phenomenal. And I saw Kansas City outside of the first quarter look terrible.
Yeah, and I just didn't think. I mean, Mahomes made one one pass really this whole second half, and they were just. I was waiting for the knockout blow. I mean, Baltimore was just sitting there saying, "We're just knock us out," and they couldn't. They couldn't knock them out, and they're just standing there, and they just couldn't knock them out. And then they kept Baltimore kept making more mistakes and more mistakes, and and uh, I'll criticize a little bit of the Ravens fans when he after Lamar threw that last interception with like six and a half minutes ago when that interception, a lot of fans left. I'm like, how do you ever leave a championship game like that? Is how the, yeah. When I was at the Brady game, when they were down to the Rams, and this could be, you know, you know, one of Brady's final games, of course, he came back the next year. But I'm like, you don't ever leave the game. Like, Tom Brady, this could be the last time he plays. You don't leave a championship game. You leave. You can leave in the middle of October. The game doesn't matter. You don't leave a championship game until it's all said and done. I don't leave middle of the season Florida Panthers versus Columbus Blue Jacket games. <laughs> not leaving this game. Um, since we've talked, a couple more uh, coaching dominoes have fallen into place. Some of them, a little bit of a head scratcher. You want to get us caught up? Yeah, I mean, I think we know that the Raiders hired Antonio Pierce, who was their uh, interim coach, and the Patriots hired Jared Mayo, who had played at the Patriots and then was an assistant coach them never anywhere else. The key things was Tomlin stayed at Pittsburgh, McCarthy stayed at the Cowboys, and Sirianni, who, Sirianni, who I thought would be fired, stayed with the Eagles, even though it seems like they're changing everything around him. And if there's ever a coach, if the Eagles start out next year 0-4, for 0 and 4, I bet you'll get fired like in the first month at that point. But Tennessee hired Brian Callahan, 39-year-old OC. Um, he's, I don't know, you know, again, he played at UCLA, uh, coach at UCLA, was the Lions offensive core QB coach, the Raiders QB coach. But the key thing was Bengals the last four years with Joe Burrow. I mean, you're Joe Burrow's QB coach. Does that give you a job? Like, Joe Burrow's really good. Like, I don't know if you should actually qualify you to get a head coaching job. He's 39 years old, so I'm a little questioning Tennessee going with him for that. Carolina hired Dave Canales. He was the uh, Tampa offense coordinator because he did what so great with Baker Mayfield. He's 42 years old. He was the Seahawks assistant as a wide receiver and a quarterback when they, when Russell Wilson was like deteriorating as a quarterback and, and everything was messed up there. He really became, and he was USC strength and conditioning coach under Pete Carroll. Um, I don't know what Dave Canales has done in order to get this job. Like, I think like maybe he's going to be great. He's 42 years old, but Tampa's offense was that they scored seven points against Carolina this year. So I'm sort of surprised by those two hires. And then Atlanta, Rasheen Moore, Raheem Morris, you know, Raheem Morris had been the coach. We know him from Tampa. He was terrible for, you know, he was 17 and 31, four and 12 was last year from 2009 to 11. Okay. This is his second chance back. And he had coached at Atlanta as a wide receivers coach. And then he was interim coach in 220. He was four and seven that year. But again, Atlanta goes with Raheem Morris. I'm like, I'm scratching my head on all three of those, those hirings. And that just leaves Washington and Seattle still looking for coaches, uh, and it doesn't look like Bill Belichick is going to get Mike Vrabel, who the two, you know, besides Harbaugh, the two named coaches, Belichick and Vrabel, were going to get the job at Washington and, you know, at Seattle, they'll go a different route. Um, but I don't think it's so bad at Belichick. I think my prediction, I, I was texting with you, I think Belichick, I think if Dable has a bad year with the Giants, I think Belichick, his dream job would be the coach of the Giants, uh, New York Giants. Uh, yeah, I would take that. That'd be okay with me. One head stretcher to me, Ira. Kellen Moore goes to the Eagles as their new offensive coordinator. Can you talk about failing upwards? I mean, he was supposed to be the golden boy, like the heir apparent going to the Chargers. He went to the Chargers. The offense got worse. And Dallas, the team he left, got better on offense. And he gets a promotion? That was just a head scratch to me. It tells me one thing. The Eagles are kind of out of ideas. Like, they, they don't know what they're doing right now. They're kind of just throwing something against the wall. Kellen Moore was bad last year. And I keep, people are defending him. Like, well, there was a lot of injuries. The Chargers were injured every year. Two years ago, when the offense was actually good, they were missing their left tackle, and they're always missing their receivers. Quinton Johnston, who I thought was going to be the best receiver in this draft, was the worst in the first round by far, so no development there. I don't get the Kellen Moore to the Eagles move. Look, Kellen Moore leaves the Cowboys. The Cowboys, there was a Mike McCarthy's taking over. They actually, everybody criticized Mike McCarthy. The offense was better this year than last year, as you said. He goes to the Chargers. This is the job that, that, that Jim Harbaugh is giving up the national champion, the first national champion coach to ever leave the yeah, team. Yeah, to have this team. <laughs> to have, because he was, he thinks Justin Herbert's as good as anybody, as good as Patrick Mahomes, as he said, told people that he's as good as Patrick Mahomes. And, and Kellen Moore could not score points with Justin Herbert as his quarterback. And now you're putting him with the Eagles. I, I agree. I think this is. This is correct. This makes no sense whatsoever. I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because I, I would, that's totally a head scratcher. These are some of these under the radar, like coaching hires that, that sort of you miss the scene. And then you're like, wow, like that makes, and you'll wake up next year, like, what's Kellen Moore? Offensive coordinator for the Eagles? And they're, <laughs> they're, 
You know, when, when Jalen Hurts uh, has a 12 QB rating through the first month, you're going to be like, oh, I know where Kellen Moore is. Uh, we've only got about five minutes left. Crazy how fast this uh, episode of Iron Sports has gone. What's going on in college football? Because I do think that we found Jim Harbaugh's replacement. Well, Sharon Moore, who was the assistant uh, coach for them, who was admitted, you know, after Harbaugh was suspended, I think he coached five of the six games that Harbaugh was suspended. He came from Central Michigan. People think he's been with Harbaugh forever. No, he actually came from Central Michigan and has been there for six years. Um, I... I don't know, but it's, when you look at uh, Minter, who was a defensive coordinator, who was in you know, Michigan's defense, one of the finest defenses I've ever seen in college football, um, he left and going. It looks like he, you know he went to the Chargers too. Some of the other seasons are going. Uh, it's hard. We're, we're, we talked a couple weeks ago on this, and I'll give you all the times. It's it's hard to follow the legend. It's hard to follow the national championship. Everyone thinks it was. Bear Bryant and Nick Saban. There were six coaches in between. Everyone thinks that they're going to get these great coaches. And it's, it's, it's about as hard to find great coaches back to back as it is quarterbacks. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, that's crazy. These other teams, you know, who's the quarterback for San Marino? Like it doesn't happen. It's, it's Terry Bradshaw, Ben Rothenberger. There were like a dozen quarterbacks in the middle. And that's the thing is that it's difficult and it's good. It's hard for these assistants that step in because you want to promote an assistant. You want to keep the continuity with the team, but then the assistant has to come out and win. And, and that's where, you know, Alabama went a totally different route. They killed the board. They went and got some from Washington. No ties to the SEC. No ties to any, anybody in Alabama. They bring him in. You know, they didn't bring in. There was a lot of Alabama disciples on the coaching tree that Saban could have brought, but they chose someone different. Michigan decides to go with from within and, and, and hire. Look, I hope Sherman Moore is a great guy. Everyone loves him. He's phenomenal. He's just so full of energy, and I hope he does well for Michigan State because I love everything about it. But I think it's hard. I think it's difficult to. It's one thing to coach those six games when Harbaugh. But remember, he was coaching during the week. He was running the plays. It was his game plan. It wasn't like he was somewhere gone, far away. So I think it's hard. I think this is going to be a big challenge for uh, Sharon Moore to come in and take. And now the expectations. Michigan's not just an okay team that doesn't win the big one. Now the expectation is: Look, we won the national championship. That's a, they're, the bullseye is going to be on them every single game next year. They play Texas. In week three, Texas is going to come into Michigan Stadium trying to win a game. I, I, I'm nervous for them. I think it's, I think it's a really tough call, and I, I think it's, it's just difficult. I will spend in a couple of weeks. I'll go through all of the different, you know, where where it happened. Like Bob Devaney was Nebraska. He left, and he won national championships. And then Tom Osborne won national championships. And then they put Frank Solich, who was Osborne's longtime assistant. He came in and they fired him after three years. Like he was supposed to be, and he ended up going to Ohio, and now he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. It's just so hard to to keep these teams up. Miami, how many look? How many co coaches has Miami gone after they got lucky with three in a row, sort of, you know? And now they've been terrible for twenty years. It's hard to keep this up and. And uh, I just think, you know, it's really tough. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. In NBA news, uh, Luka Doncic uh, put, in, put his name into some pretty elite company. Wow, what happened last week? They all decided, you know, it was the anniversary of Kobe's 81-point game. So everyone thought from, you know, one night, Embiid scored 70 against the Spurs. Spurs. Luka had 73 against the Hawks. The only thing I'm going to say, which is pretty impressive when you see all these scores, I mean, Booker had uh, a, a huge 60-point night, is that when you look at these top scoring ranks, Wilt Chamberlain is everywhere. Not only is he 100, he's a 78, 73, 73, 72. That's why I think people, I think Wilt Chamberlain is underrated. The fact that we're looking at these great numbers, they're like, wait, Wilt has all these records. Like, And it's funny that Jordan's you know, highest was 69. Jordan never scored 70 points in a game. And we think, but, you know, a lot of times Jordan was the same person that the game's won, it's over. And until Jackson, you know, they looked for the bigger picture not just for scoring points. And uh, usually the Bulls' defense was so great that not only was he scoring all these points, he was shutting the other team down so they could rest him and he wasn't going to just score the 80 points to try to set the record. Only about three minutes left to go here, Ira. Uh, anything else you want to talk about the NBA? I know the uh, Heat made some roster shakeups. The, the trade for Terry Rozier has not worked out. It's in the middle of it. They've now lost six in a row. Tuesday, they lost to Memphis. Memphis had nine players. It was terrible. One of the worst teams in the league. Wednesday, they played the Celtics. I was excited to watch this game. Celtics blew them out. 143 to 110. Saturday, they lose the Knicks. I mean, the Heat look like a mess right now. Um, and then I, we talked about the Nuggets Sixers, that NBA Joker game. And then the big game was Saturday night. Uh, LeBron versus Steph. LeBron had one of his best games in the season. 36 points, 20 rebounds, 12 assists. He hit two free throws at the end of the game, which is one of the Christmas younger in his season early. LeBron right now is doing at this elite level, but his team's only 24 and 23. 
Golden State's 19 and 24, and Curry had 46 points. It was a great game to watch. But again, it's, you know, I, I sent you a stat. Like one of these college basketball, South Carolina played LSU. That was, that had more fans watch that game, more, had higher ratings than the Heat Celtics game. So a women's NCAA basketball game outdrew the NBA game, which is great for women's college basketball, but I think pretty bad for the NBA trying to put more value on the regular season. Going to uh, Major League Baseball, we have some new Hall of Fame inductees. And Ira, I went on a tirade the other day. Joe Maurer is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And a lot of people were like, well, why is he first ballot? So you're admitting that he should be a Hall of Famer, but you got to wait a few years to put him in to not hurt other people's feelings. He was the best catcher of his generation. He's a Hall of Famer. If you're saying things like that, this is why the Baseball Hall of Fame is so stupid. And this is why guys kind of hang around on the ballot that shouldn't be there and end up getting in eventually because there's nobody else to put in the year. It's a total joke. I'm very happy for Joe Maurer. And like the fact that people are mad that he's a first ballot, like, just stop, man. He's a Hall of Famer. Right. Beltre got in, 3,000 hits, 477 home runs. Joe Maurer's in. And Todd Helton, from the, who played at Colorado, who was criticized because most of his stats were in Colorado, he gets in. Um, I, I don't know. I just I, I think the Hall of Fame to me doesn't have the excitement that it used to because you have so many of these great players. I could put a Hall of Fame of all the steroids or, you know, like the political convictions or other things. It's just, to me, it's become, it's embarrassing what the Hall of Fame has become. And, you know, and so I think that's where, you know, putting people like Beltre Bauer and Helton in, and you don't have A-Rod in and those in Bonds and those players who we watched and saw were great. So I think that's sort of, that's what it takes away from the game. I, I don't remember if it was, uh, Wednesday, Thursday night, maybe even Friday night, but we were up late watching the Australian Open, and we both got shocked. I, you know what? I'm glad you were watching it, but this was absolutely amazing, this Open. The fact that in the quarterfinals, Sasha Zara crushed uh, Alcaraz in four sets, at 6-1, 6-2, 6-4, and it was just amazing. This was one of the end, you know, great for that. But then in the semifinals, uh, Yannick Sinner destroys Joker, 6-1, 6-2, 6-7, 6-3, both, thing, you know, both types of matches like that. And then Medvedev beat Sasha Zarev, and then Sinner and Medvedev five set match. And Yannick Sinner, who a lot of people, this is Yannick Sinner is coaching. Darren Cahill became his coach about a year and a half ago. He's a young, he's not like 30 years old, he's 22. But the improvements that he made to his game and how he played and the surface was great. Big win for Sinner, big win that he beat Joker, big win that he beat Medvedev in the finals. And uh, Yannick Sinner is like him, Carl Zakaraz, you know, they are definitely. Uh, you know, these two top young players to win there, to win, to win, you know, to have majors. So, but Joker's still not done. I thought Joker played the worst match I've ever seen him play. But I, they, after the Wimbledon, they said he was done and he comes back to the U.S. Open and wins. I think one of the bigger stories, Alcaraz has not been playing well all literally since before the U.S. Open, since he won Wimbledon. And he's got to step up his game because Sinner is going to maybe pass him by. What about the women's side? Um, all right, Sabalenka won over his number one player in the world, beat Goff, Coco Goff in the semifinals. Oh, we just, you know, Goff won the U.S. Open, beating Sabalenka. I think this is becoming this huge rivalry between Sabalenka and Golf. From people who follow social media, both are tremendous on social media. Savalink is hilarious. She's a Belarusian and she's funny and they go back and forth. But they, you know, Savalink is a great player. And it's, you know, I, that was another good match. But this is going to be a good rivalry. They're both young and Savalink and Goff. You get a chance to watch those two play again. It's a must see TV. Ira, it's the first week in 18 that there's no football. You must be going crazy. What are you going to do this week? I don't know. I'm just devastated. I maybe you know what? I might see the Pro Bowl on Sunday. I might run up and see the Fly Bowl and do something like that. One of my friends is going there. But um, no, this is a devastating. The fact that football season is over, college and pro, it's been a tremendous year. I've enjoyed it a lot, and it's really sad because again, Super Bowl to me is not really a football game. It's in a different bracket of a game. But it's really sad that this is all done. Football's over. We are out of time. He's Ira Mike. We'll talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.